Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you, obviously, here again. Got all kinds of uh, emotions going on, all kinds of stuff going through my head, really. I was exposed to a lot studying for this, uh, this talk. It woke up a lot of, uh, I guess, a lot of my younger dreams and a lot of younger frustrations, you know, when, when confronted with the idea of religion and uh, sort of finding its place in the world and, and, more importantly for me, my place in my life, where it fit and how it was practiced. And um, <clears throat> so it was kind of, a, kind of a fun romp, as it were, to pull together a lot of these things. Vivekananda is incredible when you start digging randomly into the things he wrote. <laughs> he was a real uh, iconoclast. I mean, he says... He says stuff that's just really super cool to, you know, someone who's feels somewhat rebellious themselves or someone who kind of wants to forge a different way or a new way or wants some elbow room for their own thinking. Uh, if that sounds like you, Vivekananda is your man for sure. So dig in there. I want to start, of course, with uh, my standard Hafiz poem. I've read this one before, uh, but it's got a, a wonderful ideal for what I hope comes across today. In many parts of this world, water is scarce and precious. And people sometimes have to walk a great distance and then carry heavy jugs upon their heads. Because of our wisdom, we will travel far for love. All movement is a sign of thirst. Most speaking really says, I am hungry to know you. Every desire of your body is holy. Every desire of your body is holy. Dear one, why wait until you are dying to discover that divine truth? <clears throat> you know, any time that I, I <laughs> come up and stand and want to, to say something, uh, it's always an exercise for me in, in how how to how to bring mother into the picture, you know, how to bring that feeling of unity into that picture, that, that intimacy, that love, and uh, how to step out of the way. I think that's the biggest challenge for me of, in spiritual life is how to step out of the way, you know, how to stop being your own block for uh, great things happening. And uh, Hafiz has always done that and always to remind uh, myself of the important things as we uh, begin to talk and begin to dig into the scriptures to make sure that we have that sincerity of heart and place and that earnestness in our spiritual practice and in our desire to find the truth and to understand uh, who we are and what our place is in this apparent world and what our relationship is to divinity, if there is one, and uh, how to work that out. And then to have a sense of truth, of knowing what is right and what is wrong and uh, to dedicate ourselves to that during this time. Now, this talk is called Spiritual Atheist, The Spiritual Atheist, or Spiritual Atheism. And uh, my motivation for it is, uh, is wanting to be proud of being religious in a world that makes it very difficult <laughs> to be proud of being religious. I, uh, I spend a lot of time online uh, 
reading through news sites and posting sites that I feel like give me a sense of the pulse of, of the younger generation, as it were. I guess it's that time in my life to start using that phrase. <laughs> to get a pulse. And, uh, you know, this idea of being spiritual but not religious, of being upset with organized religion, uh, you know, being ashamed really of institutionalized religion because of the, the battles they're choosing to fight these days are really despicable and uh, <laughs> just downright disappointing. You know, on the one sense, there's the obvious killing and uh, maiming and horrible wars that are being fought right now in the name of, of, of God, the God of that Hafiz <laughs> worshipped, and how you can pull that kind of uh, event out of out of the, the poetry of of uh, Sufism and early Islam, I don't know. And then, even in our own country here, the you know the battles that the Christians are fighting the, to 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 have the right to be to oppress, you know, the right to to disapprove of people and to to uh, you know have have a right to discriminate based on your religious ideals. And I I read those things, and I it makes me want to be an atheist. Frankly, you know, it makes me want to just be like I'm not religious. <laughs> you know, it makes me ashamed because I don't want to represent narrow-minded thinking. I don't want to represent uh, uh, a coldness of heart, a lack of love. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't want to represent things that I just frankly don't see in any of the religious ideals, uh, regardless of how the followers are choosing to practice them. I certainly don't see that in the effect of any of the great. Uh, saviors or representatives of religion in the world. And so I wanted to explore that idea and see, uh, see what, what Vivekananda has to say about it. And I wanted to open up a new can of, uh, of experiments, I suppose, and maybe to inspire some to become a new religion, you know, which is an interesting idea, being a part of the world's oldest religion. Uh, it's the same religion that gives us permission to build, to make a new religion, uh, to build a new spirituality that fits you, that fits yourself. So I want to look at that and explore some of these ideas. I really uh, went through um, Vivekananda's writings and uh, pulled out things that were appealing to me. So I'm going to just throw them in a mash. There is some form to them, some shape. But to throw them out to you and to hopefully come up with uh, permission, at least, and hopefully inspiration to try something else to try a new approach in your spiritual life uh, this week or, uh, you know, be daring, uh, make some mistakes, make some bold mistakes, and to, to jump into it. So I'm going to start with uh, Swamiji's lecture on practical Vedanta. He says, A certain religions of the world say that a man who does not believe in a personal God outside of himself is an atheist. The Vedanta says a man who does not believe in himself is the atheist. Faith in ourselves will do everything. I have experienced it in my own life and am still doing so. And as I grow older, that faith is becoming stronger and stronger. He is an atheist who does not believe in himself. The old religion said that it was an atheist who did not believe in God. But the new religion says that he is an atheist who does not believe in himself. But it is not selfish faith, because the Vedanta, again, is the doctrine of oneness. It means faith in all, because you are all. Love for yourselves means love for all, love for animals, love for everything. For you are all one, 
It is the great faith which will make the world better. There's all kinds of freedom in that. I love that idea because, uh, you know, the religion that I grew up with, and I think a lot of times inadvertently, uh, the concept of God, and I'll talk about God as a concept because really I don't know anything else besides that, uh, to be reminded that, that God is meant to be an inspiration to stretch you, to take you higher, to break down your barriers, to break down your prejudices, to get you to be big enough in your person to love everyone and everything, to identify uh, yourself in the people around you. And that faith is a matter of, of having that faith in yourself and your ability to do, your ability to accomplish, your ability to transcend, your ability to be spiritual against all the evidence that you can't be, <laughs> to, to, to look inside and find that inner strength again. I think that's a beautiful thing in Vedanta. You know, a lot of times uh, when you put God outside of yourself, which you can, and God exists also outside of ourselves as a practice, that's a, <laughs> that's a whole other lecture. But, but there's a danger in doing that, and uh, Swamiji speaks quite clearly to it. He says, religions of the world have become lifeless mockeries. What the world wants is character. The world is in need of those whose life is burning love, selfless, that love will make every word tell like a thunderbolt. He understands that by putting God outside of ourselves and by giving him attributes and personality, that we make him smaller and smaller and smaller, and we make our understanding of him smaller and smaller and smaller and more and more rigid. He becomes about rules. He becomes about morality. He becomes about uh, doing and not doing, touching and not touching, eating and not eating. He becomes all of these mundane things that we actually begin to get way out of whack as religious people. It's just our nature. We just, <laughs> we just somehow can't see the big picture. We comfort ourselves in little pictures. You know, I remember one time a person came to the center to visit and, found, and saw the Swami eating fish and made a statement and never came back to the center again because the Swami was, was eating fish, you know. And that's what religion has become. You know, that's, that's what happens when you, when you get out of whack and you don't take it off the shelf and dust it off and look at it as a human being, you know, and look at it with, with common sense and with an open mind to judge what has my religion become? What have I become because of the God that I've created, that I worship, the attributes that I've put on him or her? What has it made me? What has it inspired in me? And what is it inspiring in other people? And a lot of times it's a very scary thing to do that. You know, it's a very difficult thing to do that because you have to start questioning. You have to start shaking loose some of those calcified assumptions in yourself about what God is, about what your religion is, about what your practice is, about where your place is in that religion. Because a lot of times our calcification is there because it solidifies our ego, makes us feel good about where we are, you know makes us feel good about what we've accomplished. And we get our self-worth out of it by drawing lines and saying, I've accomplished, I've done, and you haven't. They haven't. This group isn't. You know, I don't do that. They do do that. These things that, that, that really become a tool of the ego if they're not, if you're not to be careful. And Swamiji says that there's, that there's a way around that. He says that perception is our only real knowledge or religion. 
Talking about it for ages will never make us know our soul. There is no difference between theories and atheism. So here's our first challenge. The first thing I had to admit, and the first thing that makes me <laughs> always chuckle or wonder why in the world uh, you know, I get an opportunity to come up and say anything, knowing nothing myself. you know, Because Swamiji says that perception is our only real knowledge or religion. That's our goal, to experience God, to experience God, to know God. And when I think about that, when I put that as a, as a requirement to my life, I'm like, well, it's a good time for me to shut up, <laughs> a good time for me to be quiet. I can regurgitate. I can share with you things that Swamiji has said. I can share with you the lives of Ramakrishna and Jesus and Buddha and the beautiful saints and talk about the way that those have interacted with my own life and the changes that have gone on. But perception? What is there in me for perception? You know? And I think as a religious person, that's a very humbling thing, and rightfully so, because it opens the field. It makes me curious. Are you perceiving? Have you seen? And I see the great ones had that attitude. Vivekananda, when he wandered around to begin his spiritual life, that was his first question to, before he was, well, when he was looking for a teacher. Have you seen God? That's a bold question to ask. Because most people will have to say no to that. Probably a vast majority of people will have to say no to that. And to make that the criteria for your teacher, for your starting your religious life, is a big commitment on your part to wander the world to find that, that person wherever they might be. Fortunately for us, Swamiji found his. And when he saw Thakur, Thakur says, yes, and I see him more clearly than I see you at the moment. So we begin with that idea that our religion is perception. What we know is because of what we've experienced. And those are the things that we can hold on to as being true. The rest is theory. The rest, we're, 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 we're positing an idea to practice and to explore and to grow. But as a theory is not an absolute, it can't find uh, itself as a weapon to be used against other people, you know, who, who are trying different theories and trying different approaches. He says, every step I take in the light is mine forever. When you go to a country and see it, it is yours. We have each to see for ourselves. Teachers can only bring the food. We must eat it and be nourished. Argument can never prove God, save as a logical conclusion. It is impossible to find God outside of ourselves. Our own souls contribute to all the divinity that is outside of us. We are the greatest temple. The objectification is only a faint imitation of what we see within ourselves. So we see that, that our practice is, is, is what we realize. It's, it's, it's what we can bank on, and it's where we can find our comfort. But it turns our religion into an experiment. It, it turns your religion into an exploration. It turns your religion into a matter of learning, a matter of openness, a matter of investigating, a matter of trying, a matter of exploring new ideas, testing them, see how they work. And that requires a practice. That requires being interested in that. That requires being engaged in defining your religion. 
you know, and not being contented with being handed your religion. That used to bother me when I grew up, and my particular brand of Christianity was very fundamentalist, and uh, we were the only ones that knew God and the only ones that knew the truth, and uh, we were a small group, but we were happy because we would be together in heaven, and we wouldn't have to worry about anybody else being there. <laughs> and I, you know, even my, even in my child's mind at the time, that rose a lot of questions for me, a lot of concerns for me. You know, I was like, well, this is a really small group of people, <laughs> you know, in this room. There are less people in that room than there are in this room, you know. And I, and I thought and I thought about the boundaries, drawing those boundaries, and it made me very uncomfortable. It made me question, like, well, how is this possible? And if it is true, how can we all be sitting here? I mean, this is a pretty serious thing. <laughs> we should be up and doing. We should, I mean, we should be in a panic, really. Because if you're going to say something like that, you know, if you're going to stand in a pulpit and say that 98% of the world is going to suffer forever and you're just sitting comfortably in a room hearing about it, there's a big problem at hand. You've got a, you've got a big problem at hand, you know. And that started, that started me on my journey. And when I came to Vedanta, I, I loved the idea that I didn't, have to, I didn't have to deny anything. You know, I, I'm going to go into my own little witnessing moment here, kind of talk about my favorite things of Vedanta, what brought me here and what keeps me here. Because Vedanta is the encouragement in everything. <laughs> Vedanta says, you know, and, and we'll, we'll actually find it here as, as I read on, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but this idea that, that it's all the tools you need to go as high as you want, to dig as deep as you dare, you know, to undo everything and to find out how to put it all back together again, knowing its nature, knowing what it's like. It's bigger than an ideology because it includes every ideology. It's vaster than a religion because it includes every religion. You know, it's, it's a humongous idea of truth that puts all of the responsibility on you as an individual to reach that highest goal, to see and inspire that highest goal in each, in each other. To perceive things, to see things clearly. Perception is our religion. Swamiji goes on and gives us another hint. He says, to look into the scriptures with your own eyes, understand the meaning for yourselves, analyze just what we want, and understand the truth for ourselves. That is what has to be done. So to go into the scriptures, dig in there. Find your, find your truth in there. Find out what it means and what it says. Don't memorize somebody else's commentary. Don't, don't rely in praise and lift some unknown person that you've never met up because of their commentary. Be an iconoclast. <laughs> you know, step in there and say, wait a minute, I think it means this. Swamiji is a great lover of, of people who are willing to take a risk, to take a dare. He gets onto that later on here. He says, let us think something new, even if it's wrong. <laughs> we'll pick up on that more in a second. So, to, so dig into the scriptures. You know, make that part of your practice. Just read them. You know, it can be so dry and so boring if we if we assume it's already all been figured out, and if we assume that it's already, you know, they all knew what they were talking about, and I just can't see it for whatever reason, and I just kind of have to sit around and wait till the light comes on. Uh, that's that's what calcifies religion. That's what makes religion boring. <laughs> you know, when when you stop believing, 
that that light can go on for you at any moment. When you stop being inspired into believing that you can know these things firsthand, not through someone else's words, not through a scripture, you know, and you start digging in the scriptures for that, with that kind of intensity, with that kind of understanding. Like there's, there's nuggets here, there's things here that, I can, that, that can change my understanding, that can change my perceptions, that can, that can show me things that will literally short a fuse in my mind. <laughs> you know, that will literally just blow the doors open on your perceptions of the world and the way that it works and what's really going on. I mean, look at Takur. You know, he just, Ramakrishna, there's times in the room where he, he, he would see, he would, something, something would spark that. I mean, it could be anything. It could be somebody singing a song or, or he could see a prostitute and be reminded of Holy Mother or he could see drunkards and be reminded of divine inebriation. And that's all he needed was just a little click of something like that. And he was gone in ecstasy, you know, un, unable to move, unable to process. His mind shorted out. It was too small. It couldn't process the experience of divine, of divinity. It couldn't, it couldn't comprehend. It couldn't find a box to put what he was seeing and what he was understanding and what he was experiencing into. There is no box for that. There is no boundary for that. That's an infinite mind. That's your mind. That's my mind. That's our destination. That's home. That's where we're most comfortable. Infinitely broad. Infinitely inspired. Looking around, digging out small nuggets that just completely put us in a, in a space of overwhelming awe at the majesty and wonder of, of life, of, of being alive, of what we are and what the potential is. He gives a hint here. He says, concentration of the powers of the mind is our only instrument to help us see God. To help us see God, because he's assuming, he said, that our theories, they don't count for anything. Direct experience is what counts. Knowing God is what counts. And until that, we're boys. Swami Ramananda used to like that. He would refer to all the young, the monks as, as boys. And one of the boys took offense at that. I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? I'm 60 years old. Are you calling me a boy? And he says, have you seen God? No, I haven't. Well, then you're still a boy. You know, the definition of a man, the definition of a woman, someone who has seen God, someone who lives in that that awe-inspiring way of, of, of loving, of caring, of lifting and encouraging the whole world just by being what they are, you know, by having seen their true nature. Concentration is your only tool. So that's what we need to start working on. How do we learn to concentrate this mind? How do we learn to get this mind to focus, to stop being constantly distracted, constantly pulled off base, you know? It's one of my huge <laughs> disappointments in myself when I sit to meditate, you know, and I'll be sitting there and it'll be like, I, I don't know, how long do you go? You know, I don't, I don't even think the minute hand goes a full revolution before I'm lost somewhere else, you know, before I'm thinking about something else, some other thing. It's like this, this practice, and there's so many ways of doing it. You know, there's so many ideas that are out there. It's a whole series of lectures on how to concentrate the mind. But take that up as your primary task. It's the only tool you have, according to Vivekananda. Your, your concentration, your discipline of mind, that's all you've got to figure this out. Get to work on it. <laughs> start honing that. Start sharpening that. Start, start really working at that. Because you can see God with it. You can realize your nature with it. You can find out that God is not the cause of atheism. <laughs> you know? I think that 
this idea of, of, you know, to talk about atheism and to talk about God in the same lecture only makes sense in Vedanta. You know, because Vedanta is not proposing a third person with attributes that you have to believe in, that you have to sign on to. And, you know, it's a man and, you know, he's this big and he's this old and he's got this set of scriptures and he likes this and he doesn't like this. And you always have to wonder, how do you feel about me? You know, it's like that was my big question growing up constantly was sitting there in church and I'd be looking at, you know, this emblem of a cross and reading about Jesus and I'd be like, what do you think about me? <laughs> you know, and you beca- I became consumed with that idea. It's like there was no strength coming inside from that. I was always wondering, what does this other being think about me? What does he always think about me? You know, it's like I lost, I lost sight because of that strangeness of that relationship. You know, you know who you are. What do you think of yourself? That's what Vedanta asks. Vedanta doesn't ask, what does God think of you? What is God wondering about what you're doing? You know, what's God's opinion about your checkbook or your, you know, what classes you're taking? God is so much bigger than that. What do you think about it? Is it getting you where you want to go? Where is it that you want to go? Be clear. Open your mind. Study it. Look at what's there. Come out of this automatic passenger mode that we get into in life where we just get up. We don't know where we're going. We got a job. You know, and how many jobs did I get in my life just more or less just because they came to me? You know, I didn't really ever sit down and say, you know what, I want to be this, and I'm going to go do this, this, and this, and this to get there, and then get there. I mean, the vast majority of us, we just, we're just kind of wandering around, you know. It's like things sort of happen to us, and we adjust and make a life out of it. But that life is very mediocre because we settle for mediocre. You know, that life is very center stream because we center, we, we, we settle for center stream. You know, we, we, risks and risk-taking, new ideas, challenging thoughts, you know, uh, <laughs> that's, that's either for the young or, or someone on television or, you know, for someone else. But to challenge ourselves like that, to take our tools, you've got your concentration, you have the, you have the ability to experience divinity, to experience things that, that, uh, that have changed the world, and they're in front of you to open the scriptures and to dig and to find out the truth for yourself and to experiment and to try new things without having to believe anything. You don't have to believe anything except that you have the ability to find out. You have the ability to understand and to know and to establish in yourself the desire to understand, the desire to find out, the desire to to unlock this treasure that is in you. He says, if you believe yourself to be sages, sages you will be tomorrow. There is nothing to obstruct you. For there is one common doctrine that runs through all of our apparently fighting and contradictory sects. It is that all glory, all power, and all purity are within the soul already. Only according to Ramanuja, the soul contracts and expands, and at times, according to Shankar, it comes under delusion. Never mind these differences. All admit the truth that the power is there, potential or manifest, it is there. And the sooner you believe that, the better for you. All power is within you. You can do anything and everything. Believe in that. Do not believe that you are weak. Do not believe that you are half-crazy lunatics, as most of us do nowadays anyway. You can do anything and everything without even the guidance of anyone. All power is there. Stand up. 
express that divinity that is in you. That's Swamiji. <laughs> There's two ways you go with that. You're either jumping up and down like a puppy, you know, like, let's, let's do this, let's figure this out. Or you're like running to the corner, like wanting to hide, like, oh my God, I, I can't deal with this. I just can't take that. Oh, you don't know what I am. You don't know what I have to deal with. You know, you, you can't possibly understand how horrible my life is. You know, so you've got to make your choice about that. How are you going to adhere Swamiji? When he challenges you like that, saying you've got everything, because there's a lot there's a lot hinging on that statement. All the power is in you. There are no obstructions, he said. There is nothing to obstruct you. <laughs> He's saying you've got no reason. You've got no excuse for not knowing, for not being elated in your own divinity and the divinity of all things. You have no excuse, no reason to not sit in the midst of that and be, in, and be inspiring, inspired. Don't think yourselves weak. You know, every time I get challenged like this, oh God, every time these challenges come, it's your first thing, right? It's like, oh God, I've tried that so many times and it never lasts. I do it real, yeah, I'll do good for a week or so and then it'll be back. And you just, you get old that way. You get old that way, right? You get old. You stop trying things. You stop, you know, you stop, you just, you, you become convinced, I can't do it. You know, I can't make that. And you give up trying. That's when you get old, you know. If you, if you remain alive in the challenges of, of this kind of thinking, this kind of reality, where you have all of the potential for the infinite in you, where you have the promise and the, the outright statement that there is nothing holding you back. There's no reason for you not to be able to accomplish these things. When you realize you're fully responsible for your life, for the condition of yourself, for the way things are for you, fully responsible, you can either lay down and be tired and old about it, or you can be young of heart, young in spirit, and accept the challenge. Take it on the chin and get up, you know, like that puppy that just... <laughs> falls over and just considers it part of walking. Oh well, there we go. On we go. All power is within you. He says there is a tendency in us to revert to old ideas in religion. There's a tendency. He's warning us. Let us think something new, even if it's wrong. There's some nice permission. There's some nice permission. It is better to do that. Why should you not try to hit the mark? We become wiser through failure. Time is infinite. Look at the wall. Did the wall ever tell a lie? It, but it is always just the wall. Man tells a lie, but he becomes a god too. It is better to do something. Never mind. Even if it proves to be wrong, it is better than doing nothing. The cow never tells a lie, but she remains a cow all the time. Do something. Think some thought. It doesn't matter whether you are right or wrong, but think something. Because my, because my forefathers did not think this way, shall I sit down quietly and gradually lose my sense of feeling and my own thinking faculty? I may as well be dead. And what is life worth if we have no living ideas, no convictions of our own about religion? There is some hope for the atheist, because through they, though they differ from others, they think for themselves. The people who never think anything for themselves are not yet born into the world of religion. They have a mere jellyfish existence. They will not think. They do not care for religion. But the disbeliever, the atheist, he cares and he is struggling. So think something. Struggle. Never mind if you fail. Never mind if you get hold of a queer theory. 
If you are afraid to be called queer, keep it in your own mind. You need not go and preach to others, but do something. Struggle. Light must come. If a man feeds me every day of my life, in the long run, I shall lose the use of my hands. Spiritual death is the result of following each other like a flock of sheep. Death is the result of inaction. Be active. And wherever there is activity, there must be difference. Difference. Diversity. It is the sauce of life. It is the beauty. It is the art of everything. Difference makes all beautiful here. It is variety that is the source of life, the sign of life. Why should you be afraid of it? (laughs) Why should you be afraid of it? That's the kind of person I want to be. You know, I I read that and I'm like, I wish I was like that. Oh, why didn't I say that? Why can't, where's that boldness? You know, where's that zest for living? Where's that zest for finding out, for investigating, you know, for digging in there and, 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 and not settling for not knowing? You know, not letting it be okay to be ignorant. It's like, it's not okay. (laughs) Do something. Get to work about this, you know. It's not all right to sit there and waste your life away through Twitter or Reddit or YouTube or whatnot. Constant entertaining just as the time ticks and you're, oh, another one, oh, another one. You know, (laughs) oh, that's a funny picture. I'll have to send that to my friend Susan. Oh, my God, there's another one. John would like that one. Uh Uh-uh. Not to be okay with ignorance. Not to be okay with with not knowing who you are. Not knowing what you are. But to take up an idea and follow it to its nth degree. To be passionate, excited, inspired. To love. To care. You know, instead of, you got an hour to do nothing. Instead of sitting there and doing nothing on the internet of nothings. Make a sandwich and go out and give it to somebody. I don't know. Come up with a million ridiculous ideas of investigating love, investigating what the world looks like when you take responsibility for it. You know, when, it's, when you understand it's you that changes it. That uh, There's been plenty of examples of one person that has changed the world. And Swamiji says to me and to you, he says, you have no reason not to be that person. You have no obstacles. There are no obstacles. It's your imagination. Take up this cause. Take up this fight and see what you can find. Spiritual death is the result of following each other like a flock of sheep. Spiritual death is to assume that Thakur has already figured it all out and we just kind of have to hear about it every now and then, sort of think about it every now and then. Hmm. Thakur just showed you it was possible. That was all. He showed you that you can realize it in any religion that you want. He showed you that you can realize it in any lifestyle you want. That it's a matter of earnestness, it's a matter of longing, it's a matter of desiring to know the truth, to be inspired by living. He just went first. He jumped in first and said the water's fine. (laughs) And then he told you to get on with it, that you only have to do one-sixteenth of what he's done to get there. (laughs) So stick to your reason. Stick to your reason until you reach something higher. And you will know it to be higher because it will not jar with reason. The stage beyond consciousness is inspiration. But never mistake hysterical trances for the real thing. It is a terrible thing to claim this inspiration falsely, to mistake instinct for inspiration. There is no external test for inspiration. We know it ourselves. Our guardian against mistake is negative, the voice of reason. All religion is going beyond reason. 
but reason is the only guide to get there. So you tie this in with that responsibility to think. Think for yourselves. Why do you believe what you believe? Believe what you want, certainly. Vedanta certainly makes no limits on what you believe. Vedanta just says you better know what it is and why you believe it. It's your responsibility. Suss it out. I learned that term from a good British friend of mine. Suss it out. Figure out what's the cause of this. If I think this way, what does the world look like? If everybody thought this way, what would the world look like? Would it be a world of love? Would it be a world of encouragement? Would it be a world of caring? Would it be a world of growth? You know, would it be a world of, of acceptance? What would the world look like if, if, this, if this idea was allowed to grow and to prosper? Why do I think that way? Where did I get this idea from? Who gave it to me? Why did I accept it? You know, be the gatekeeper to your mind. Be the gatekeeper to your mind. Concentrate. Know what you think and why you think it. Know what your opinions are and why you believe them. Anybody can make up ideas for what they believe afterward. But who is it that knows what they believe because they followed the path to get there? You know, most of us just end up the way we are. A thousand different things bring us up, contribute to it. We don't know. Things are said on the news that affect us in a certain way, but because we're not even concentrating, not even paying attention, not using the only tool we have for religion, we've accepted it, and it made a subtle change in us, made us think a certain way, made us hate a certain group of people, or made us have a certain idea about our neighbor that we don't even know. We just suddenly find we don't like our neighbor. <laughs> we just suddenly find we don't approve of their lifestyle, or <laughs> you know, we need to think something like the more adamantly I think badly about that person the more holy I'll be <laughs> you know stop with that become aware of your mind take up the challenge in his lecture on what we believe he says God though everywhere can be known to us in and through human character no character was ever so perfect as Ramakrishna's and that should be the center around which we ought to rally at the same time, allowing everybody to regard him in his own light, either as God, Savior, teacher, model, or a great man, just as he pleases. Isn't that a great idea? <laughs> Even our own ideal, Takur, his main disciple is saying, we can look to him, we can be inspired by Takur. We can look at that life, that character, and be like, wow, awesome. And we can think he's God, we can think he's the avatar of the age, we can think he's just an avatar, we can think that he is just a good guy, a good teacher, an amazing person, whatever you want. Takor doesn't ask you to believe anything about him. Use him as you want to become what you want, what you know. Go forward. God, though everywhere, can be known to us in and through human character. We reject none, neither theist nor pantheist, neither monist, polytheist, agnostic, nor atheist. The only condition of being a disciple is modeling a character at once the broadest and the most intense. Nor do we insist upon a particular code of morality or conduct or character or eating or drinking, except so far as it injures others. Whatever retards the onward progress or helps the downward fall is vice, and whatever helps in coming up and becoming harmonized is virtue. We leave everybody free to know, free to select, free to follow whatever suits them or helps him in this endeavor. 
So you've got a wide open ballpark. A wide open ballpark. You're allowed to believe anything. You're allowed to try anything. You're allowed to experiment with anything. The only watchword he says is those things that lead you to a higher place, to a place of seeing unity in the world around you. Those are the good things. Those are the things where you can know you're doing right, that you're moving in the right direction. Those things that make you more conscious of your body, more conscious of your limitations, more conscious of your attributes, those things are going to be taking you in the wrong direction. So he gives you that. He gives you that's the one kind of litmus test that you can hold. Otherwise, the field is yours. That field is yours. Now, a lot of us, we have very distinct ideas about what Hinduism is, what makes us a Hindu. Certainly in the world, we've known. It's very interesting to me that Hinduism is both has given to me one of the broadest set of ideas, one of the broadest and most inclusive set of teachings, one of the most open and idealistic teachers that I could ever have even imagined on my own. And at the very same time, has given me some of the tightest restrictions, some of the most judgmental statements, some of the most separating ideas, you know, at the same time. It's like, it's, it's a funny thing that we have, we have this fantastic uh, philosophy, world-changing philosophy, a philosophy that I could literally cry over that, that not enough people know about or not enough people get to be inspired about, you know. And at the same time, how exclusive we can be how closed we can be, how judgmental we can be, you know. And that's the battle. That's the battle. That's the thing that makes me want to, <laughs> that, that makes me want to be an atheist. You know, I want to die with an open mind. I want to die believing in my neighbor, believing in everybody. You know, I just I want to walk out of this world having done my best to love and done my best to care to have risen up. So find what it is that's helpful to you. Experiment with your ideas. Experiment with your ideals. Look at Tuckter's character and be inspired by what he did and how he went about things and try some of the things he tried. Hear some of the suggestions he makes. But make it your own. Make this world your own, Mother says. You know, Make your religion your own. Don't practice someone else's religion. Don't practice a religion just because it's been there for a thousand years and it's been done this way for a thousand years. So what? People have made mistakes for thousands of years and keep handing on those mistakes. That's why we're still in the condition we're in. Take something new. Make it your own. Turn your mind on. You know, Dig into it. Dig into the essence of what's being said and what's being made available. And compare it constantly. Constantly wake yourself up to the condition of your life and to where where you're sitting, and always hold in mind that potential that you're facing, that potential of the infinite, of this amazing and outrageous claim of Vedanta, that you are God, that you are that, and that everything is one. Don't forget that. Every single mundane moment of your life will drop its mundanity if you sit and think about it in that light, in that contrast of what you can be, what you are, what you can realize compared to what you're settling for, to where you've been, you know, to what you've adopted. So open that mind. Every soul is a sun covered over with clouds of ignorance. 
The difference between soul and soul is owning is owing to the difference in density of these layers of cloud. We believe that this is conscious or unconscious basis of all religions, and that this is the explanation of the whole history of human progress, either in the material, the intellectual, or spiritual plane. The same spirit is manifesting through different planes. I would rather see every one of you rank atheists than superstitious fools, for the atheist is alive, and you can make something out of him. Alive, questioning, wondering, not making false statements out of fear, out of nervousness, out of piety, out of ego, but willing to say, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen God. How can I get up here and say, there is God and he wants this from you? I can't say that. I wish I could say that. <laughs> I wish I had seen what Takor had seen. But I can sit there and say, we've got an option. We've got a, we've got a potential here. We've got a, a proposal that certainly demands exploration, that demands some investigation, some looking, some trying, something we certainly have all the pieces that can wake up a tired life, that can keep you young in your spirit, that can keep you wondering, that can keep you excited, that can keep you naive. <laughs> when you compare what you don't know to what you know, you can stay naive till the end of your life, you know? Just like, wow, 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 it's cool. Isn't that what's, what we enjoy with kids so much, isn't it? I mean, you sit there, I know these, we have these kids come over for karma yoga on Saturdays, and I just make stuff up, you know. I, I talk to them, because the world for them is huge, you know. They've, they've not calcified. I mean, I've, I've, I've calcified so much. Like, you know, I, I assume that chair is just a chair, and it's just going to be there, and there's nothing else to it. I, you know, you read this book. We have that book by Tomas that he wrote on quantum physics. You read just a few pages of that, and you realize you don't even have any knowledge of what a chair is. You have, to, you have no idea what you're sitting on at all, and you don't understand what a wonder it is that it's in the same position this week as it was last week. It's like, oh my God, that's still there. All that movement, all that craziness going on, it's still there. It's still the same color. <laughs> anyway, going on with that. But to have that idea, that, to have that newness, to stop assuming, I think I've mentioned that before, you know, I've mentioned it too many times in my own mind, to stop assuming so much, to stop assuming so much that the world becomes this boring, <laughs> mundane place. Stop assuming you know anything of religion. You know nothing of religion. Stop assuming you know what a puja is. You have no idea what a puja is, what a worship is. Stop assuming you know the role of prayer. Stop assuming you know God's will or who he is or what he is or what it is or she is or that is. Stop it with the assumptions. Stop it. Be wide open to the possibility. Be wide open to the idea that you can experience it and not know from a book, not know because somebody else said so, not know because it's a tradition, but to know because it's yours, like you know your mom, like you know your dad. You don't have to read a book about your mom or your dad. You know them. They're yours. Mother says this world is yours. Know it. Know it like that. I would rather see every one of you rank atheists than superstitious fools, for an atheist is alive and you can make something of him. Don't calcify. Don't mistake information for knowledge. Don't think because you know a scripture that you know something. Don't think because you can regurgitate what Takor said about God that you know anything about God. Stop it with the assumptions and start finding the perceptions 
start doing the work it takes to be a takor that has the right to say something about God. Start digging in the scriptures and become a Shankara so that you have the right to say something about the scriptures. Not because Shankara said it, but because you've seen it and understood it. Get busy. <laughs> Chit Brahmananda, get busy. He was writing to a letter, a letter to Margaret Noble. He says, one idea that I see clear as daylight is that misery is caused by ignorance and nothing else. Misery is called by, caused by ignorance. That's very important because there's a lot of antidepressants going around these days. There's a lot of antidepressants going around these days because we've lost, we've lost that wonder for whatever reasons. I'm not going to get smug and say that I know anything different. But I'm saying what Swamiji says here is that ignorance is the only cause of misery. So if you're down in your life, get busy. Stand up. Start investigating. Start a fire to know. To understand that you're not, you're not a victim of depression. You're not a victim of sadness. You're not a victim of not knowing. You have no obstacles. You have nothing in your way. If you think yourself a sage, a sage you can be tomorrow. Vivekananda said it. He meant it because he was one. He did it in his life. He's the reason we don't have an excuse. He's the reason it's not going to work to be at the end and be like, well, but, you know, I was born here and I had this problem and I was, you know, and I did this. And it's obviously that I'm okay just being the way I am. <laughs> no excuses. You're not a sage because you don't believe yourself to be a sage. You know, because you're not, not jumping in. I'm not realized because I'm an idiot. <laughs> because I've chosen to be an idiot. Not because I'm in one, because I've chosen. He says, misery is caused by ignorance and nothing else. Who will give the world light? Sacrifice. Sacrifice in the past has been the law, and it will be, alas, for ages to come. The earth's bravest and best will have to sacrifice themselves for the good of many, for the welfare of all. Buddhas by the hundreds are necessary with eternal love and eternal pity. Sacrifice. That's what it's going to take. You know, we talked last week about uh, Holy Mother and her renunciation and how her renunciation was always a service to other people. You know, that, that uh, she never got upset when demands were made of her. She just had no ego, nothing in the way. She was there to serve her ideal in any way that she could. She made, sacrifice. she made sacrifices without considering them sacrifices because she had her ideal. She had her, her mind so firmly placed on her ideal. That's what I read in this, in this scripture here. It's like there's no need to come up with a set of beliefs to, be, to, to reach the goal. There's, there's not a need to, to memorize or to learn or to rotely practice anything. It's a call to life. It's a call to being alive, to being open. When you sit next to somebody, take it as an opportunity to care about them. Find if you're sitting on the bus next to somebody, you know, just find out if they're open to it. You know, and they probably will be if they see any real concern in you. Find out who they are. Find out what's going on in their life. Find out, I don't know, anything. What's 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 the trouble is? Care about them. Care about each other. hate being a hypocrite. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. But uh, it's always good to be faced to be faced with that.
to be challenged by that, you know, to move beyond your limitations of how you've defined yourself until today and to become greater, to become higher. We reject none. Neither theist nor pantheist, monist, polytheist, agnostic, atheist. The only condition of being a disciple is modeling a character at once the broadest and the most intense. That's the task at hand, regardless of your beliefs about God or religion, to become the broadest of characters and the most intense. Involved, engaged, loving, caring, renouncing for the good of all, sacrificing. That's where Takor takes us. With that, I'm going to close with a poem from Hafiz called A Big Herd of Sweet Goats. <laughs> I used to walk in a beautiful garden singing but the garden fell in love with my voice and fell in love with my toes, too, then concluded it would be smart to just follow me home and never move. The same thing happened with the sun and then Saturn and then a dozen other vacationing inebriated planets and a whole nearby mountain range with its trees and streams and fish still tied onto its back and a big herd of sweet, lively goats. My dear... What Hafiz is really trying to say is, if you ever get lonely, come visit this wild house, my celestial verse, where all of us will always so happily be alive.